you are really making a mess. Wow. Sorry, you didn't give me a plate. <laughs> I had a plate and you moved it. No, because you can put it in my place. But, I mean, you can hold the plate, it's fine. Just leave it, whatever. Just make a huge mess in this five-star cleanliness. I'm enjoying your fucking cakes. So the brownie's nice. Uh, oh, it's very crumby. I've got so much criticism. It's nice. You know I was so nervous. About what? To have you on my show. Fucking hell. <laughs> do, you want a do you want a tissue? No. Okay, fine. Um, I'm allowed to have my tea. Yeah, it's meant to be casual. It's okay, meant to be like I'm very, very relaxed. Very good. It's meant to be like a casual chat. It feels. I feel like the roles have reversed. I'm in charge. Are you? Are <laughs> yeah, you? Well, let's I'm see. Char- I'm in charge. I was very stressed. Why? On, on your, on the whole idea of having you on the show. What? Because, but I mean, you've worked for me for years. You know me backwards. So uh, why know, would you be stressed that, about I having I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I was like messaging my friends like, WS is coming on my podcast. <laughs> yeah. I was getting a bit nervous. I think it'll be fine. But it's fine. This is all going to be part of it. I mean, these are the, the intro. I think this is fine. Yeah. I'm very, I'm very relaxed. Nice to sit here in your... Good. Your studio. In my space. Yeah. yeah very nice. I'm very impressed. I'm proud of what you've achieved here. It's great. So, stop it. I was literally like, I hope he says that. Because I feel proud. <laughs> no, 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 even seeing... Honestly, seeing Eat by Amy on the front door, I thought that was great. That it's made cute, me isn't think, it? good for her. Yeah, it's cute. I'm, I am happy. Also, just before we get into it... You know, when I called you last time, well, when we spoke on the phone, and you were like, I'll oh, do some demos and stuff. I've done four work, three workshops at Soho House. Since, good, good. And I'm doing another workshop here on the weekend. And also, I'm going to start doing the food shows as well. The dem- good. The demo the food shows. Good, so good. Well, you've got to do it good. Well done. That was all your idea. Anyway, right, let's start. So, welcome to Eat With Amy. I'm obviously Amy. <laughs> and I have got a guest, my oldest guest ever. Lol, I had to throw it in there. Um, <laughs> how old? How old is old? William, you're definitely over fifty now. Yeah, is that old? Technically, I mean, yeah. Okay. Your kids are. When old you too. get there, when you get there, you'll you won't have, be You'll take so a different. Fine. You'll take a different view. <laughs> no, you will be around. That's very rude. I'm thirty this year, though. Well, I hope I'm still around in twenty years. You know. Yes. Me too. I think that would be a very early exit for you. I mean, if I exited before my, my mid-70s, I would be slightly disappointed. It would be a waste of all the uh, exercise I do on my Peloton. <laughs> do you have a Peloton? Absolutely, I'm obsessed you with it. You cycle enough, no? No, no, never enough. Never enough, okay. No, because I, I live off Exmoor in Somerset. We've moved? Yeah, and the, I wouldn't cycle on the roads around there because I'd either get run over or they're just too steep. It's just you can't oh, get any momentum. Okay. So I rely on Alex Toussaint, who's the world's greatest Peloton trainer. Wow. And I see him at least maybe every other day. Right. And it's like on the screen, right? Yeah, yeah. He's my trainer. They've got them in he the He doesn't gym. know about me, but... Yes, uh, yeah. But you know it feels it personal. Yeah, it does. It's, very, <laughs> it's a, a very clever obsession. Yeah. Okay. I love it. They had a they had bad press recently. Did you with the whole like? Uh, they had some fictional uh, disaster, but, yeah. um, and also coming out of the end of COVID, sales dipped. Mm-mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's uh, a tough business, but uh, are you I'm, working for Peloton? I'm obsessed with them. I have a Peloton hoodie. <laughs> I have actually? a Peloton T-shirt. My Will they eldest, sponsor you? Like, my eldest children gave me a Peloton mug. Cute. So um, I'm proudly, I'm a, I'm a hashtag Peloton dad. <laughs> Peloton dad, I like You that. know, I need it because <laughs> in my job, I have to, people just expect me to eat and drink all the time. Yes. And I don't want to be fat. I really don't want to be a fat food critic. Fair enough. So I, and also if I don't exercise, I feel frustrated, angry and anxious. So yes. 
I find I think a lot of people have that. The yin and yang of, you know, I find that I eat and drink basically what I want. Yeah. With a few rules, like I avoid carbs at night if I can. Why? Uh, because it gives me acid okay. and it's not very good for you. Fine. Uh, and the world is full of bad carbs, which are poisoning and killing us, by the way. I don't agree. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you about it if you want. Um, and I, I do sort of an, uh, an intermittent fast may, three days a week normally, so, which means no breakfast on a Monday, Wednesday. Is this all a new thing? You didn't do this when we were No, no, no. I went to a clinic in Zurich. Oh. I was sent by the Telegraph, and it's the world's most expensive rehab. It's £75,000 oh, wow. a week. Was it a day? I can't remember. I wasn't paying. What? So they basically, I had my entire body and everything analysed. And so I thought, you know, I, it's not every day that you get the opportunity to have this. Yes, of course. So I decided to listen to what they said. That's wise, I guess. So um, as a result of that, I've, I've maintained more or less the basic rules. You look them. the same. Well, Do you feel different? Uh, I am, I think I'm healthier, okay. actually. That's good. But, you know, I eat and drink as much as I can, yeah. as much as possible, <laughs> yeah. with a few breaks now and then. Yeah, that's healthy to have a... Yeah, but I, and, I, and I exercise. So, you know, I cycle everywhere in London, and when I'm not cycling, I'm on my Peloton in, in a small... <laughs> in the Peloton room, right. the Peloton <laughs> library in Somerset. Peloton room, amazing. Okay, so actually what you should have done at this point is introduce yourself. So please tell everyone who you are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my name is William Sitwell. I'm a food writer. A food writer. Best known for what? Uh, I am the uh, restaurant critic for The Telegraph. And I'm a long-standing judge on the BBC hit show MasterChef. Yes. I run events. Oh, yeah. Uh, I hold the, the Sitwell Supper Club, which yeah. stands for Extraordinary Food in Exquisite Locations. Or is it Exquisite Food in Extraordinary Locations? I can never quite remember. The regular haunt for that is uh, our converted cow shed on our farm in Somerset. Where That's I moved have, from... Where I, yeah, where I have a table that seats 70 on one long line. It's a most beautiful site. It must be a huge cow shed. It's quite a big cow shed. It's a cow shed. Cow sheds are quite big. I mean, I so there's kitchen, there's a, there's a kitchen one end, which I built. Right. Um, so I basically built a restaurant, yeah. sort of by mistake. So okay. we have a license, <laughs> and I also have a wine business. Yeah. Um, so obviously I sell wine at my events, but also I have a business online called Williams House Wines which you can find at williamsitwell.com and it's the world's <laughs> smallest wine store in that I only ever offer eight bottles at any one time. So I make right. the idea of selection beautifully short and small. Mm-hmm. So the shtick is if you trust me on food, trust me on wine. Right. And because the wine world is so complex and complicated in the most beautiful, wonderful way, mm-hmm. I take advantage of that by just offering a very small selection and you, I tweak it every yes. few weeks. So you do the difficult bit, basically. Yeah, I do. And it's all modestly priced. Because you don't... You don't pay for wine unless you pay about £7. Right. So until you get to the £7 mark, you're paying tax, bottles, uh, cost of glass, Mm. um, distribution, etc., etc. You're not paying for juice. Right. Once you you spend £7, you start paying for the juice in incremental amounts. Yeah. Until you get into the 20s and 30s, in which case it's it's about the market and other stuff. Yeah. So my wines tend to sell at about £12.50. So it's a decent chunk. It's mid-range. It's... Generally affordable. Yeah. I mean, affordable is a dangerous word. <laughs> Who are you um, talking to here? <laughs> yeah, so, uh, and I do that. And I write books. 
and I do bits of broadcasting and um, I'm sure there's a few other things I do, I can't remember. But an all-round successful man. Well, an all-round, I try and do a lot of things person. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yes. I mean, it's not for me to judge success. I would say... I would say you're successful. I want to do... I would like... I would like some of my little bubbles to explode financially, but at the moment, you know, it's difficult. I do a lot of things on a central theme, which is food and drink. Yes. So I have a commercial wing and an editorial wing, (laughs) if you like. Yes. And actually, it's on the editorial wing Uh for which we met and why I know William. Mm -hmm. Um, So people have heard me talk about this so many times, but I'm going to say it again just because I want to. Um, I used to work for Waitrose Food Magazine... Which was my first ever job. Was it? Yeah. You know this, that William gave me fresh out of uni. I actually hadn't finished uni when you offered me the I job. I remember for some reason you seemed to impre- you impressed me and I said, don't go on a year off, come and work for us. Yeah. And you said, and then I ra- and you said I've got to do the year off. I said, well, just do four months and start with us. No, you didn't give me four months. I wish you'd give me How many did I give you? Two. two months. Yeah. Which, okay. to be fair, like, you definitely didn't have to do that. But my view is you could take, you could probably take years off in a few years time but yeah. here, was, here, was, here was an opportunity yeah, exactly. and you should grasp it and you yeah. could still get a lot you could still achieve a lot of travelling in two months yeah and I did I did so. was it worth it how long did you work for us three and a half years yeah. was it worth it oh yeah definitely yeah, there you go so. come on I it was mean, a decent piece of advice yes bar the fact that you financially crippled me for three years not personally yeah I wasn't paying your wages out of my pocket no but I knew how much you were getting paid <laughs> Did you? Yes, would you? Okay, so my Why job, would that be, have any comparison? Job, I was there for 20 years. My job was editorial assistant, which is obviously the lowest rung of the ladder. Sure. Slash personal assistant to William. Sure. So I was in his pockets and knew everything inside William's okay. world. Yeah. So and You can tell me the secrets you know when this is finished. Obvi- yes, obviously. But yes, I knew how much you were getting paid and the bonuses. So. Oh, yeah. So, yes, bonus. exactly. No, we were... We were the, re- the remuneration in John Brown Media's heyday wasn't bad no yeah, it was a good for business for some yeah but I mean that's that's the same in every business but I mean yeah. I was there for I think I earned it I, I, I did the best part of two decades there yeah yeah I'm, I'm not know. taking away from the so, fact uh, although you didn't even work full, full, full five days a week did you uh, yeah I did, two at, least, days I did at least you. three days <laughs> you had Tuesday and Thursdays yeah, off no Mondays and Fridays I was ahead of the COVID curve. Yeah, I was working were, from home. <laughs> you were remote. Yeah, but I, I also, I did work at home. I did work on those days. Mm, okay. I was available. Mm-hmm. And I occasionally did the work I was supposed to when I was in the office. <laughs> but I ran other enter- enterprises yes. as well. Didn't yes, I? yes. As you all know. Because <laughs> a lot of pies. Um, but yes, that's how we know each other. Um, yes. Uh, yeah. It was fun. It I was mean, fun. John Brown Media was the most amazing company, formed by a guy called John Brown, uh, who's a real person, who's a fantastic character. Who did you know, John Brown? I still know John Brown. I haven't seen Is he him for still a bit. Alive? He's absolutely still alive. Yeah. And uh, he worked for Virgin and decided to set up his own magazine company when he saw an opportunity to do a magazine for Virgin. Right. Oh, okay. So uh, he did whatever the magazines were, Upper Class, I think it was called, or something. Hot Air, that was the main mag. Upper Class was a sort of small section that allied with their first class or business Mm. offer. And then he um, published Viz. Oh! Which was his big moment, because that was an astonishingly successful um, publication, you know, where he he built it, along with the editorial team up in Newcastle, from, you know, a few miserly thousand to... 400,000 copies a month. Mm. It was one of the great success stories in publishing. 
And then on the back of that, to placate his wife, who was a designer, who was a slightly more placid appreciator of the more beautiful things in life, he founded Gardens Illustrated. Oh, is that where it came? Is that and then it? the idea was, I think, there was going to be a Gardens Illustrated and then a whole stream of magazines, Gardens... Uh, uh, well, I know I was thinking what else can be illustrated. <laughs> travel. Mm, yeah. There was probably going to be a stable of gardens, travel, food, and what yeah, else? Yeah, yeah. So, Food Illustrated started Mm-mm. very much in the image of Gardens Illustrated, which yeah. was sold to the BBC. Mm-hmm. And then Food Illustrated developed into to become a commercial magazine associated with Waitrose and became a Waitrose magazine, became a client magazine. Yeah. And the company evolved over the years to becoming from a kind of hard edged. Uh, editorial company that published Viz, the 14 Times, Bizarre, which is a magazine about fairly dubious activity and death and growing horns and all the rest of it. Hmm. If you were ever caught looking at porn at John Brown, uh, <laughs> someone's cleaning the windows. Uh, if you ever caught looking at porn at, porn at John Brown, you could, you could, you could never get accused oh, of anything because the stuff they were printing was far worse than really? anything you might find online. Wow. Um, I did not know any of this. And then uh, Andrew, you... Andrew Hirsch, who had been in the company for a long time, basically, after John sold it, uh, made it a much more commercial business and finally sold it to a big company called Dentsu and then oh, yeah, vacated. That was, well, that was a lot later. And it doesn't exist anymore. John Brown? Yeah, it's gone. Isn't it? It's so just... who's making that? What, who, what's the people... What are they working under? Dentsu? Yeah, Dentsu. Okay. So the John Brown brand has disappeared oh. which is sad but I was very glad I was there in, in the great days when we still had Viz in the, in the years when um, this guy is clean, clean he's really nicely. doing it thoroughly isn't he he does it like once a month and he has to choose today to do it do you know it's funny yeah. because it shows how life in offices has changed I mean we used to have a Sid the Sexist I speak I, a Sid the Sexist I speak your titway machine in reception pardon what are you even saying he, he you're had, saying a lot of words and I'm not sure what you're saying. Sexist was a character in Viz. Oh, okay, fine. Okay? Yeah. And the machine would stand like this so a woman could go close right. to it and then he would do that and speak your tit weight. Uh, oh. It's regarded as inappropriate. Yeah, a little bit. And we had two fat slags in the garden which were models on, modelled on the famous cartoon in Viz. Right. And at every month, John used to stand up on a table at what was called the office lunch and read out excerpts from Roger's um, Profanosaurus, which will mean something to people who know about Viz. Viz is one of the great publishing phenomenons of the, of, of the last hundred years. Yeah. It's less sort of, uh, has less notoriety today, but right. it was a great, very, very cleverly, beautifully illustrated comic for adults. Do you miss working at John Brown? Yeah, I miss being in an office. I haven't, I mean, I, I'm now employed by the Telegraph. I have a pass. I can go in, Mm-mm. but I don't very often. I miss sitting in an office. I'm in the banter and, and mooching about and talking to people from other departments and mm. making friends and just yeah. hanging making around. Friends. You know, I used yeah. to go, you know, go and see John in the, in the, in the hardware or the, the stationary cupboard. John the postman, yeah. John the postman or yeah. going and taking the piss out of the girls in HR and being inappropriate <laughs> and who finally did actually forced me to exit the building <laughs> and watch me pack my stuff. Wait, <laughs> when you let... So, I mean, yeah, okay. So when... what? To explain what happened. Do we have to go over that? A little bit. Just I had a row with a vegan. Just, uh, it became an international thing. incident. Yeah. I quit and then I joined the Telegraph. Did you quit? Yes. Are you sure? Yes, I remember I was there. 
Okay. Because I remember, because what happened was, from my perspective, was that I'd so left. So you were a vegan? No, no, you, I'd left. Are you gone? You? I'd left two months before this happened. I was on holiday in the Philippines with my friend, and I got a message from you saying, this would have never happened if you were still here. <laughs> so, I don't know, from, from your slightly frantic messages, it didn't sound like you'd quit, but fine. I'm glad that you clarified. Yeah, I quit. Mm. Okay. Um, did you have to, like... Pack up. You know, you see in the film, old films, people that like, have a little box and they put all their stuff in the box. I came in on a Sunday I and cleared Sunday. my desk. Oh, that's really sad. under the watchful eye of a girl from HR. Oh. But it was fine, you know. People, when people decide to leave and you need to quit, you you don't want to make a fuss, right? So uh, quite excellent Sunday. It was fine. It was fine. Mm. And the man who assisted in my quitting is a great friend of mine who I just had lunch with, Andrew Hirsch. who's yes. one of the Great mentor, one, I'm a, he's great, my great hero in publishing. And, oh, uh, no, I mean, I, I regard him unbelievably highly. And, and he was a friend at the office for 20 years. And when he and I agreed my <laughs> departure, he was very good about it. And we've mm. remained friends ever since. So, yeah. um, you know, it's weird because I always felt that I needed to get out of John Brown having, you know, I edited this food magazine for the best part of two decades. And you know, when the 15th year comes around and you're looking mm. at what are you going to do in April with asparagus, <laughs> you sort of think, I need to... It's a bit stale. <laughs> you need to, you know... I mean, I did a lot of other things and we launched... Yeah. With Andrew, I launched content about food for clients around the world. From We, we set up offices in South Africa, in oh, Dubai, yeah, um, in Boston, in the United States. Mm. We pitched to companies from Switzerland to, um, you know, across Asia... It was very exciting. So I did other stuff, yeah. Uh, as you know, because yes. you would have booked flights for me. Thank yes. you very much. Um, that was, but I terrifying. still felt that I needed to probably do something else. But I never quite had the balls to mm. quit. So when you I did the shelf, yeah. When my when when the quitting situation arrived um, unexpectedly, and the Telegraph hired me I, I, I left on the Tuesday and was given a job on the Friday so oh, I, was, really? I was very very lucky that is lucky I was very, very lucky, lucky indeed and I was offered a job by a wonderful woman who I'd met 20 years previously when I sat on the same desk as her, her on the Sunday Express mm. so you know it's good to keep in touch with people and I had written for the Telegraph yeah. sporadically and the Times while I was there yeah. so so you have, do you have a regular column now actually don't so I, I write I have a my restaurant reviews appear in the Saturday magazine oh, okay. every, every Saturday. Every Saturday. Okay. And then I'm contracted to write two other pieces a month. Mm-hmm. And I also do travel for them. That's good. So, so we'll get those freebies in, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> but freebies end up costing you money because these days, you know, if you want to go with the family, you've got to pay for their flights. Imagine. So freebies end up being more expensive than actually staying put. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad I'm not a full-time travel writer because I think you're on a bit of a hiding to nothing mm. these days because, you know, you've got to travel. You get paid relatively badly. So let's say a story can take you five days out of your, de- out of your calendar. Mm. Um, but you get paid for your, the piece that took you two hours to write. Yeah. So the economics aren't very strong. But I think the idea is you, you enjoy the experience. <laughs> sure, but if you're trying to pay a mortgage, that no, experience, enjoyment can be a bit, uh, that's, a bit that's what tough. You, not to make it about my finances again, but that is what you said to me every time I asked you for a pay rise. You were like, but you're getting all these perks. Well, yeah, it wasn't my <laughs> gift to pay you more money, but I occasionally could argue, of course, for someone <laughs> special, but you obviously weren't. 
You did give me a pay rise eventually. There you go. After I told you I was going to quit. And then you didn't talk to me for a bit. And then you quit anyway. (laughs) But that's neither here nor there. (laughs) You quit to create this beautiful bakery. Yeah, I mean, it it didn't really happen like that. And actually this was a bit of an accident, but it was a happy accident. Good. Well, I'm very proud of what you've achieved. You know, it's great to see your name on the board at the front of this, these studios, <laughs> to see you've created a space, you know. I love to see... An ambiance. Good, some good steel worktops, yeah. you know, and some good ovens. And there's your pretty little logo. Name, so it's yeah. great. It is great. Anyway, so as I've explained to you already, and as the people know, this is Food Tales, which basically is when we talk about... A dish that you want to talk about. So what's the dish? Tell us. Well, I thought I'd go simple and talk about spaghetti carbonara. Because it's it's a dish that I've always known how to cook for as long as I kind of remember from when I was allowed near a stove. Mm. I suppose the first thing that I ever cooked was probably hot chocolate <laughs> when I was about sort of That's quite a difficult seven or eight. Well, it wasn't. Like, all I was doing was mixing... Cadbury's drinking chocolate in with milk and whiskey. You, you have to warm the milk. You've got to warm the milk, yeah. Or not, and I'm assuming back in the you know, Iron Ages, there's no microwave, so you've got to use a stovetop. I still wouldn't use a microwave to make a, <coughs> a hot chocolate. But no, you have to use a saucepan, pour yeah. milk in on a hob and heat it. It's and quite difficult, I think. It always used to say at the bottom, uh, whisking in the pan improves the texture of this luxurious <laughs> drink. <laughs> And I, I was always obsessed with chocolate. My mother makes a wonderful chocolate cake. Mm. And I used to, when I learned how to make a hot chocolate, I used, that was my sort of thing in the kitchen. Mm. And I suppose over time it developed into doing other stuff. I mean, the, the great thing about a carbonara is that most well-stocked, what most, I don't know, even, are not well-stocked, the, the meanest stocked kitchen vegan vegetarians aside <laughs> should have the ingredients to create spaghetti carbonara. Yes, spaghetti carbonara. Totally most people have spaghetti yeah most people have bacon or some ham mm-hmm. uh, and and some eggs yeah and some parmesan yeah and you don't need anything else mm-hmm. and as simple as the dish can be it can be really screwed up so i've seen elaborate versions that sort of insult the name of carbonara mm-hmm. Funny enough, I had my first celeriac carbonara lunch today. Where did so you go for lunch? I went to a place called Nessa or Nossa or something, I can't even remember. Uh, it's part of a new club um, at 1 Warwick Street Road in, what's that area, Mayfair slash Soho. Mm. And they have a public-facing restaurant. Anyway, they had a, uh, a non-carb pasta. Oh, I see. So using celeriac right, as, instead of the pasta. Okay. And actually, it was a really good version of it. It did actually work. I was... You know, sort of, you know, sometimes, you know, as a restaurant critic, you're looking for content, so you order yeah. something that you're really hoping is going to be a pile of shit. <laughs> and annoyingly, it was actually quite good. So, you know, <laughs> anyway, so, you know, because you're always looking for an angle. And right. my obsession with spaghetti carbonara and my weight of knowledge and experience the depth and breadth of my knowledge about this dish I thought I could bring to bear as I tore this new version of it down <laughs> no actually it just added to the body of evidence that I have so uh, there are important things about carbonara fundamentally the, the fact that you must always work within the limits of those very few ingredients yeah no cream absolutely no cream <laughs> absolutely no garlic Really? Garlic. No, no. Okay. 
And it's all about uh, the al dente spaghetti, not overcooking it, really important. Um, there is, of course, you know, the quality of a pancetta. The better the quality of that, you know, the better the dish is. But if you've only got bacon or ham, that doesn't matter. You don't have to be constrained by that. Um, it will, obviously, you know, if you have a better kind of bacon, whether it's just some sort of Alsatian smoked bacon back, you know, that'll make it better, but it's not the end of the world if you haven't got it. So it won't, that won't, the, the dish will still rise and be yeah. great with, without a fantastic bacon. Mm-hmm. And then eggs, because there's always the, you know, the quality of the egg. But so, you know, you cook the spaghetti. I can't even remember how you do it now. And you cook the pancetta or the bacon, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then the, the, the key thing is, um, you know, you then put the bacon into the, into the spaghetti. And there's probably still a bit of residual water there. Yeah. But That's the key thing is always cracking the egg raw at the end. But right. actually prior to that, no, 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 that, that is it. And then a bit of pepper. Mm-hmm. So you take it off the heat and you stir it. So the egg is effectively raw. Yeah. And what was good about the dish I had today was it was faithful to that in that when I cut it open, there was a raw egg in there. Okay. So sometimes and I've been in ski resorts where you have a very good spaghetti carbonara and the yes. spaghetti I've seen, uh, the egg is still in, in the shell. Yeah, I've heard about that too. Yeah, and... That's exciting because it's it nods to the genuine article yeah. that you shouldn't cook the egg, mm. don't scramble it. Mm-hmm. So really, it should be off the heat yeah. and per, and ideally on on the plate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nigella Lawson recommended grating a bit of parmesan into the pan mm. before you serve it, and then you know black pepper either on the plate and then extra parmesan. Mm-mm-mm. But and then. You know, it's just a really lovely dish and you can have it with some lovely tomatoes, room temperature, heritage tomatoes, whatever good tomatoes you can have and then a big fat glass of wine, whether it's a lovely white burgundy or a really good Bordeaux. You know, it's, that then becomes a really lovely meal. Yeah. So a dish that's effectively a kind of easily achievable student budget dish can be elevated yeah. with a lovely glass of wine yeah. becomes a lovely meal mm. and with a, with a crisp, crunchy, fresh salad with a nice little light... French dressing and just olive oil and some lemon. You Would know? you order it out generally? No, I, I... Only if I think that a place is trying to be clever. I always think that when you eat out, you should try and order stuff that you can't cook that. at home. That's yeah, the whole I point. Agree, yeah. Otherwise, why go out? Exactly. Now, sometimes you go to some places where the whole point is to have the roast chicken yeah. that you could easily have at home. Mm-hmm. Or that's why you go for Sunday lunch. The point of Sunday lunch is you're not cooking it. Yeah. But the problem is you always compare it with a Sunday lunch you can cook yeah. at home. You know, <laughs> yeah. you always think, I better, I, I could have improved, you know, the, I could have done better potatoes. So often it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. You go to some fancy place mm. and the Sunday lunch is not as good as the one you could do at home. Mm. But in a way you do that just to, just to not wash up. Yeah. We often eat up just not to wash up. I wouldn't yeah. say that was the inspiration behind my restaurant. <laughs> yeah. Why are you a restaurant critic? Because I don't like washing, don't up. Like washing up. But I think therefore, yeah, you should always explore and... When you see odd things on the menu, you should try and force yourself to order them or get your pal to order them. Yeah, yeah. Or why you order the thing that appeals to you. Yeah, great great bit of advice there. So, the celeriac um, one that you had, is it today? Celeriac carbonara I had at lunchtime today, yeah. I'm kind of intrigued as to what you mean. I'm imagining a very wet mess. It wasn't actually, because they obviously had... They, used a, they must have used a spiralizer. Oh God, that's so 2008. Well, it still worked though. You mm. know, it was better than using courgette spaghetti. It's all very, very wet. And sounding. but it wasn't though. So that was what was interesting about it. That the texture, okay, it was still a vegetable, 
but it was like a very al dente pasta except without the the chewiness to the bite right and it held yeah so um actually it's tribute to the chef for being able to create something that does screw with the original but works yeah um so you know it was a it was you know there was a nice bit of wet egg and a good bit of cheese and it was it was a it was it was quite complex it was good it worked so no it wasn't wet so they've obviously spiralized it and not cooked it and not cooked it and and put it on a damp towel or whatever i don't know (laughs) But it worked, it worked. The point okay. is it worked. It wasn't wet. <laughs> yes. Okay. Whereas if you tried to make a, uh, I don't know, like a, um, yeah, a, a zucchini yeah, carbonara. I think that would be, I don't think that would work. You know, when those two great girls, the Hemsley sisters yeah. started spiralizing, <laughs> everyone got very excited because mm. it was an alternative to carbs. But I think mm. actually spiralized courgette doesn't replicate pasta. No. It just doesn't work. It really work. doesn't. Unless... Unless it's, yeah. I think people often made this mistake as well, cooking the spiralised. Yeah, can you ma- yeah, And then it's just wet. Yeah, then it's just a mush. That's kind of what I was imagining when you said it. That's what that, I that, would be a mush. that would be a mush. <clears throat> um, so you said that this is like one of the first things that you learned how to cook. Yeah. Who taught you? I can't remember. You can't I remember. probably watched my mother doing it. Or maybe I did it at university. I, I don't remember things like that. What was, I, I'm kind of, what I'm getting at is like, what was food like in your house growing up? Uh, it was simple, basic. My mother was never, and still is never, interested really in food and cooking. Right. It's funny because I listen to my kind of colleagues in the food world and, you know, you, they would talk about how they come from these foodie families yeah. where they talked about lunch at breakfast and yeah, dinner yeah. at lunch. <laughs> we certainly weren't like that at really? all. And uh, we ate simply and very well yeah. and healthily just because it was a natural seasonal diet. I mean... It was meat and two veg. So we had pork chops, and which were probably bought from the butcher who came to the gate in a van. <laughs> and we bought our meat from him. Mm. So we bought chicken, lamb, pork from the butcher. As I say, he came to a, the gate in a van with his white coat, and it's the most wonderful way of shopping. And this is when we lived in Northamptonshire. Mm. And he, this guy still operates like that. Although I left Northamptonshire, but I still hope he's still. He's <laughs> I hope called, he's still there. It's called well Mumford, there. and he was noted for his sausages. And funny enough, a friend of mine had Mumford and Sons recording in his studio up the road, and they were quite amused when Mumford and Sons, the van, the, the great yeah. they arrived. Like, a great meeting of pop hero and yeah. butcher legend. <laughs> but um, so we would eat food from the gate by the butcher and vegetables grown in the garden. That's pretty foody. And it was simple, you know, that, that was how we sort of sustained ourselves. We grew simple, you know, simple, grew simple vegetables. So I've always tried to continue that in a way of trying to grow veg at home, salads mm. and so on. Um, it does require a lot of time. And the tragedy is now, veg and stuff is so cheap that actually the rearing of vegetables in the same way that... Uh, rearing your own hens for eggs mm. ends up being uneconomic because it's mm. cheaper just to buy them. Yeah. I mean, we have the most expensive hens in history. <coughs> spend, <clears throat> they spend maybe six months not laying. They still have to be fed enough and then they kind of lay in secret in a hedge or the crows steal the eggs. So you don't even get the eggs. So, uh, yeah, I did have six quail, actually. They were all, they escaped and I got another six, but there was only one girl amongst them and she wasn't laying. 
And then my sister's Daxon ate them all about three weeks ago. But that's another story. So anyway, <laughs> we ate simply. But, you, 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 but my father was a great lover of food and a great lover of restaurants. Yeah. And he would have loved... He died before I became a restaurant critic. And right. he would have absolutely loved my job. Mm. He was very proud when I sort of went into newspapers. And yeah. he, he thought, this is my son's going to be a newspaper man. So... You know, he was in PR, financial PR, and he was a sort of schmoozer and networker around Fleet Street. Mm. He used to hang in Elvino's, and he had great friends in, in newspapers and in journalism, and he was a great lunch man. <laughs> Killed him, really. He died, like of, you. <laughs> he died of long lunchitis, which is a <laughs> disease you pick up when you've had too much lunch right. over about 50 years. Yeah. So I'm, that's why, that's I why use, you cycle. I, so I use the Peloton <laughs> to try and stop myself dying from, from long, long, long yeah. lunchitis. But... Um, I think he, he played was, it down. He was a wonderful, gentle, kind, very, very loved man who just adored restaurants. And so as we grew up into our sort of 20s and started eating out a bit, mm. um, we would share stories of restaurants. And he was a healthy glugger. And we used to drink wine all weekend and every meal we could. Mm. But, I say apart from breakfast. God forbid you drank my father's orange juice. <laughs> <laughs> a buck's fizz. Yeah, well, it was so, yeah, laced with vodka. Anyway, <laughs> he used to clatter down to his study and knock back bull shots at dawn. But anyway, breakfast. Anyway, that's another story. But, um, by the way, do you like my socks? Very um, patriotic. patriotic. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we ate simply, but food was not... But well... We ate well. Yeah, yeah I we feel did. Like you're we ate well. It down. You're like, oh, I didn't no, come from well. a foodie family. That's a foodie family. Well, it's, it's just it was just normal for you. For me, it yeah. was just normal. It wasn't fancy. No, we regarded eating out as a huge treat. My yeah. father, I remember, we lived in this house in Labrock Grove, and every once in a while, he would buy us a McDonald's as a treat, and I really appreciate that. Yeah. You know. And we used to occasionally go and eat in a sort of grotty Italian in Notting Hill Gate, and that was a treat. Yeah. And we appreciated it. Mm. I mean, I appreciate I realise how lucky I am that week in, week out, I have to eat out in restaurants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you forget Mm-mm. the privilege you have mm-hmm. because it's expensive. It's so expensive. Um, so I, I know how lucky I am, particularly because I come from a family who really, you know, who weren't, you know, we weren't sort of sloshing around with cash, and we appreciated that eating out was a privilege. My father used to collect these tokens. The, the FT used to do these lunch for a fiver yeah. campaigns. Yeah. And I think other papers used to, and he was always walking around with, you know, uh, coupons, coupons falling out of his pockets, <laughs> like, uh, trying to get funny. really good deals in <laughs> grotty restaurants around Fleet Street. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, if you get a decent pet of pasta and you could glug a good bottle of wine, you know, happy days. Yeah. So sure. I wish he was around today so I could take him Treat out for him. lunch, yeah. you know, on a regular basis. It's, one of the things I really miss because he would have really, really loved that and we would yeah. have talked about it because we always used to talk about restaurants. And um, he used to call me in the office and I remember uh, if, he was, if he was worried I was getting a bit too sort of cocky or pleased with myself, he'd phone up and if I was in a meeting, he'd ring up reception, have me page to get to the telephone. So I'd had to, you know, I'd shut the meeting and go and speak to my father about some emergency and he would uh, say, yes, Daddy, what is it? And he said, oh, I've, just, I've just seen the most amusing, whatever it was. It's just like nothing. He just wanted to yeah. say something to me. Yeah. So uh, he was a wonderful man. And he, he, was a, he was a great foodie. He loved food. Right. And it certainly showed. He was a big, big guy. Yeah. So uh, I think my appreciation for food and my love of wine certainly from him. stems from him. Or at least if I have it, we would have, we bonded over yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. I like that. So when you, so your um, job trajectory, you started in newspapers, right? Yes, so I, 
I suppose my first kind of proper job in papers was on... I started in diaries, you know. I mean, there were always two traditional routes to get into the press. Mm-hmm. There was working in the provinces in local papers yeah, or there was working in, yeah. on diary gossip columns Is that what in you newspapers. I so didn't my, know that. So my first ever job in a newspaper was doing a shift on the Telegraph on what was called the Peterborough Column, which was their diary. And then I did shifts on uh, London's diary, which was the Evening Standard's diary, right. when it was a great paper. And when Lon- London's diary was a really important diary, yeah. run by this legendary man called Rory Knight Bruce, mm. who, funny enough, lives near me, although I haven't... I noticed my name in his autobiography. But anyway, I need to go and bang on his door. <laughs> he was a funny guy, completely nuts, and a real kind of arch stitcher-upper of uh, celebs and politicians and blah, 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 blah. But it was, a, it was a time when the diary was very much at the forefront of, you know, breaking stories. Mm-hmm. So that sort of taught me the nuts and bolts of good writing because, you know, you'd be sent off to a party and you'd have to file, you'd have to get on the phone and mm-hmm. dictate your copy. Yeah. And um, you had to be able to put a piece together with the beginning, a middle and an end with a bit of colour and a quote, sometimes within about, I don't know, 40, 50 words. That's like the worst, my idea of you know. <laughs> so if you can learn how to do that, yeah. <laughs> then, it's, then you probably understand the nuts and bolts of writing yeah. longer Long pieces. Form, yeah. But I was also well taught at school by an amazing man called Barnaby Lennon who taught me geography and taught me geography essay writing. Right. And it was all about the technique yeah. of getting in, into a subject concisely, drawing the reader through the, the argument and then summarising at the end, mm. which is fundamentally what journalism is. Mm. And I've always been interested in the art of writing with clarity and brevity and colour, but mm. in the right measure. Yeah. I think it's really important. Mm-hmm. So every time I write a piece, that's my aim. Yeah. You know, to, to, to bring to bear the, the fundamentals, but to do it with the right measure of colour and entertainment to keep people awake from beginning to the end <laughs> and give them some practical information. Yeah, of course. So I kind of, so I started in diaries and then um, I kind of had a side, I went off and was a travel rep for a company and then came back and worked in politics for a bit um, and then uh, got a job on the Sunday Express as right. a researcher on a magazine called Classic, which is a supplement. Okay. And I was there for a bit and made redundant and then I kind of fetched up Somewhere I can't quite remember. Who gave you your food break? Like, how did that happen? Um, it, I was introduced to the editor by uh, a wonderful cookery writer called Rose Prince. Okay. Who heard that Katie Hillier, the editor of a magazine called Food Illustrated, that had just become Waitrose Food oh, Illustrated, so needed a deputy. I see. Okay. So I was working on, I was languishing on a magazine called Woman's Journal. And I was kind of there by mistake. (laughs) And I was in my, what, late 20s and trying to brainstorm ideas about how women in their 40s should dine, should should date after divorce. I mean, I've literally had no idea what I was doing there, what people were talking about. (laughs) It was being run by a legend called Marcel Dargy Smith, who used to run it, run Cosmo. So she was a very famous editor of Constantine who latterly in her career ran this mag. And she fished me out of somewhere and plonked me in the features desk. She left and someone else looked at me going, what are you doing there? And I kind of went, yeah, I know. <laughs> Unfortunately, this opportunity came on Waitress Food Illustrated. So I was interviewed as deputy. 
And it was a very odd interview because I remember Katie was charming and she came to see me in my flat in Notting Hill and said, so tell me, tell me about what do you like about food? And I said, well, I eat. And I was about to go on and develop the argument and she sort of basically talked to me for about two hours and offered me the job. <laughs> so anyone, anyone says to me, how did you get the job? I sat quietly. I literally said, <laughs> because I eat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she obviously sort of liked the cut of my jib, gave me the job mm. and three or four years later she quit and I went for her job and got it. Mm. I've never fought more for anything in my life. I realised when she went and I was the deputy that I, I could either become the editor and take that magazine, I thought, to really great places mm. or I would be the deputy who failed to become editor who worked under another, another editor and I saw this path of gloom. You know, I really did. Yeah. And I didn't, if I didn't get that job, I would languish as deputy or then have to start my career again and go somewhere else. And I really felt this was a turning. This was a, you know, there are these moments in your life where yeah. you literally see a path. Yeah. And one way is shit and the other is not shit. <laughs> yeah. And I fought like hell to get that job. Yeah. I mean, I put everything into it and I got it and they took a risk in me. They said you were inexperienced. They said you need to go on management courses because you're a complete fucking idiot. You don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Yeah. But I got it, and I think I took that. I made that magazine. I took a great magazine, and I made it greater. Hundred percent. And I'm very, very <laughs> proud of the fact that I was running a magazine for a client that became far greater than what it was defined to be. You know, I, 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 I brought a kind of chutzpah to the project where I would. I, I believed in it, so I would bring in the best illustrators, the yeah. best photographers, the best writers. Yeah. Network like hell, no and and create a really beautiful thing. And, and at the period where we were winning awards in the sort of 2010s, et cetera, et cetera, it was fantastic. Mm. And it later merged very close to Waitress and became much more aligned to their marketing, which yeah. is fine. Yeah. But journalistically, it was less exciting yeah, for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. I, not, not, not to diss it, and it still, it still won awards, mm -hmm. but it became more commercial. Yeah. And we had less freedom and flexibility. Um, but I understand why, and I have yeah. no resentment about that, you know. Mm. Your phone. No, that it's you. Is that my phone? Is it? Is it? Yeah. I'm going to turn that off. <laughs> um, embarrassing. I actually watched, I didn't purposely watch it, it was on the, back, on the background whilst I was eating dinner with my family. Um, it was like a Waitrose versus Marks and Spencers right. thing. And they obviously spoke about the magazine in it. <laughs> I mean to tell you this. They obviously spoke about your exit and the whole, that whole thing. And then... I was like, as we were sitting having dinner, I was like, oh, it'd be really funny if they talk about um, an article that I wrote about um, student Yes, things. I remember. <laughs> Two minutes later, they've slapped up the article on the screen. Basically, there was this article where... It wasn't even an article, it was literally like... It, was, I, it was your stu student, it, student store covered essentials. Yeah. <laughs> which was the most ponzi of sort of pomegranate oils and... <laughs> It was a it was classic waitress. It, it was, was brilliant. Waitrose five, it was right? Brilliant. But we didn't realise that we were part. It was. It wasn't meant to be ironic. You no, were genuinely. I was being very deadly you were being, serious. Yeah, but it was. It was. It. It made for a very good piece on sort of Mail Online, etc. Yes, I mean, it, it got picked up very quickly by the press. I remember coming in the next day, and you were like, "Oh, look what you've done!" And I was like, "What?" Yes. Yeah. And it had gone like whatever the tweet had been yeah. retweeted. How many times? It was on the TV the other day. That's what I meant to yeah, say. There you it. It go. Well, funny. there you go. Um, but yes, and I actually stand by that this because my mum was like pissing herself laughing at this TV programme. I was like, it makes sense. What would be the point of me telling readers to put, buy tin tomatoes and pasta? Like, people yeah, no, sure. That, no, right? no, but your article was right. But the, art, but, but the piece, the, ref, 
that reflected on it had also was legitimate. So everyone's a winner. Yeah. Anyway, um, did Waitress Food ever um, do any good carbonara recipes? Must have I done. Can't remember that. I was kept well away from the <laughs> recipe content, which people might find amazing, <laughs> might might find surprising for someone editing a food magazine. Yeah. But um, I used to occasionally comment on recipes, and people sort of look at me and ask me to vacate the kitchen. <laughs> but you know, we we created a beautiful office. Mm. And I was responsible for that because when we moved from John Brown originally in Notting Hill to Shoreditch, Down the road I persuaded me, my boss, Andrew, to carve out an extra space for us, for a whole kitchen, which I then had sponsored and paid for. So we had an office and then we had an entire kitchen studio that we could film in. You know, when we were in the other place, mm-hmm. I was only there for like a There was few a months. kitchen there too. Was there a kitchen there? There was, yeah, I had that built too, but... That I was, was going to say, where was all of the testing done? In that kitchen? Yeah, that, and we farmed it out. Oh, uh, okay. So, you know, those first, those, uh, those year, that year or so in Shoreditch was great because we created this wonderful space. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I got Mila to sponsor. Yes, I remember that. Good old Mila. Mila? Mila? Mila, Mila. Mila. Anyway. They make, they're the best hoovers. Do, do they? Have you ever tried hoovering with a Dyson? Yes. It's dreadful. That guy should be strung up, not knighted. They're the most horrific things. Mr. Dyson, they're very expensive. If they, if they they're break, awful. They don't work. They're rubbish. They, you charge them up and they make this noise. Yeah. And, they, and also, <coughs> you only have to suck up a bit of dust and they kind of explode. You're not going so, to get sponsored by Dyson then. I swear by Mila Hoover's vacuums. They're very heavy. We used to have a Mila one. Are they they're too really, heavy for really you? Heavy. Yeah. I have several and I can lift them but I'm very very strong (laughs) (laughs) Um, so just to go back a bit to the carbonara you've just said that you weren't really allowed near the food testing situation that Waitrose Food Magazine do you think that you are a good cook? Um, when I cook I'm quite exacting what does that mean? I want to get it right okay fine so Emily my wife cooks sort of for the kids and midweek mm. and she we basically live on really lovely broths <laughs> like fur foes mm. yeah. if you say fur people get a call what you look it at you fur. but I don't want people to think I don't know what I'm talking about when I say foe but anyway it's fur it's fur I just know when I say to people fur they kind of go what this do you mean foe fine talk like a food. she cooks furs yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> so we have chillified fur with Lots of ginger and noodles mm. and prawns or chicken. Yeah. That's what we, that's our staple midweek. Right. Which is a wonderful antidote to the kind of restaurant food that right. I eat, which is just laced with cream and butter yeah. because it Heavy. is. So I cook dinner parties and Sunday lunch. Okay. So I do the show pieces. The show pieces. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's your um, Sunday lunch show piece then? What's the meat? Well, I like to go to doing? the butcher in Wiverliscombe, near where I live in, um, in off Exmoor in Somerset and get a big rib hmm. you know so it is meat at the center of it a really amazing piece of a rib of beef yeah and then with everything else and then everything else that goes with it so so or a friend of mine is a farmer nearby and he he, he rears these wonderful longhorn hmm. and they're these cattle with these amazing horns long horns, long horns yeah. <laughs> you can't believe them when you until you see them yeah they're a bit like this belt look oh my god what is that it's a longhorn Anyway, that comes from Texas. I was going to say, that's very Western of you. <laughs> My sister just came back from Texas and, and gave to me. And that was the gift. Anyway, that's a long... So they're, they're a horn <laughs> as long as the belt, the right. buckle on my belt. Yes. 
anyway, so there's always that. And then, you know, I'm obsessed with the roast potatoes and all the rest of it. And I'm quite good at making some good English puddings like apple crumble, which is literally the cheapest thing you can do because we've always got apples in the garden. Yeah. And, you know, I use Country living. Yeah, and crumble, (laughs) which is made from flour and also the other key ingredient, which is grape nuts, which some people forget to put in. No, no, crumbles. Yeah. (laughs) And blackberries that I forage from the from the hedgerow a blackberry and apple crumble is the loveliest thing and lashings of double cream and it just makes me feel i just it just then it's like big fat glasses of red that you just keep you just drink until you're kind of in a coma would you choose a crumble over a pie yeah always really yeah i I love pie i love pastry i don't really like pastry i I find it heavy i like a crumble Mm. um and then cheese and cheese afterwards and cheese always simple you know i like cheddar Mm. really good cheddar Piece or Jarlsberg you know just <laughs> yeah. really simple stuff even with a tuck biscuit yeah Ooh, you know okay that is basic yeah really simple yeah. I don't want a sort of massively elaborate cheese board I like a good hard cheese like Comte I or Cave Aged Gruyere or Comte is my like favourite cheese ever yeah and that was courtesy of a waitress for right, yeah, yeah. but I got to got to try that you allow so. yourself to eat cheese I, I'm not vegan anymore oh you're not no. okay and fine. everyone knows so it's fine okay good glad to hear it um so uh yeah i cook those things and then i might try more elaborate things for a dinner party that i'm kind of just sort of trying to do yeah so i kind of yeah i cook i cook at those show-offy moments so you're um the the young kids eat your food or not really the my children my smallest children are very fussy smallest children that's what i meant yeah Yeah. i've got Four kids. Four, yeah. One's almost, what, 21, 18, four and two. I cannot believe that your older two are 21 and 18. Well, there you like, go. that yeah. is crazy. They're very beautiful, uh, successful uh, young adults. Young adults, <laughs> yeah, exactly, young adults. Um, and uh, I'm, very, I'm very proud of them. Um, and Barney and Walter are very fussy. Very fussy. Oh. Yeah. Four and two, though. So Barney basically time. only eats tomatoes. Every time you say Barney, I get confused because my dog's Barney. Right, OK. So I'm thinking, I'm imagining a dog, but it's No, no, he's not a dog. He's very cute. He's like a sort of fluffy blonde dog. <laughs> oh, my God, what about your dog? Cyrus. Cyrus. Yes, well, you met him when he was a puppy. Yeah. I've got pictures of you. Is Cyrus still around? Certainly, yeah. Good. And he's la- oh, he's the kindest, sweetest dog. Good. We yeah, love that Very you. much so. No, I remember him coming to the office. Yeah, it was the ever. It was. No, I, remember, I've, I think I, I know, occasionally, you know when your phone pops up pictures? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite like often he used to push up pictures of you as Cyrus, as a puppy. I think, you know, I brought that dog in and people seem to look at me in a different way. It's like, okay, you're actually a human because you have a dog. Soft, like, a soft human. <laughs> he has a dog. He can't be a, just a complete tosser. Anyway. Well, yes. Okay, so. Those were the days, you know. Yeah, those were the days. Um, to round off our little chat, um, what's in the pipeline for Mr. William Sitwell? <laughs> um, I just had a meeting with my agent and we're tweaking a oh, yeah. book proposal. Oh, what are you going to write? I'm not going to tell you. Oh, why not? It's an ingredient that I'm, I've always had a sort of secret passion for and it's never really been written about. In any no, you can't full do that. Extent. Please tell me. No, I won't. Ugh. It's an amazing story, actually. It's a it's an ingredient that no one would ever think had such an extraordinary international story behind it. And Can you it tell me when this is stems off? from my love of it that people think it's a bit odd, but then it's is an it incredible mind? narrative. I'm not going to tell anyone that. 
Can you tell uh, me afterwards? I want to, no, I want to, uh, I want to sell more wine. I want to sell more tickets to my supper clubs. Write more, earn more. What else? What can I tell you? I mean, I'm scratching around. I mean, you really make out like you're a pauper and you're not. Yeah, I am. You're not. I am. You're not. I have, I literally have nothing after I've spent, you know, four kids, a house, yeah. you know, literally. I mean, adulting. if yeah. I was a, I really respect the kind of the idea of the pink pound or my bachelor friends. What's that? What do People you, have no pink kids. Pound? Pink pound. Is that a bit old school? Yeah, I don't know what that is. Uh, the gay pound, you know, when you've got no children. Oh, that's called something else now. Is it? What's it's, it called um, now? So you have like a dink, so it's like a dual income, no kids. Yeah. So you have like well, a nice cushy life. So, so I have a, a couple of friends, one in particular who's in his 50s, who's not married and kind of complains about it. And I sort of say, I kind of... At least you're rolling in cash. I, I, <laughs> I play recordings or I just ring him and my children are screaming and sort of then feel like screen grabbing my bank account just to say, you're incredibly lucky. I do not have any offspring. Listen. Stay put. I'm very happy. With I was going to say, kids. I feel like you, but you, I'm just you saying, do this hard, you do this kind I'm not of trying to appeal for anybody's sympathy. Cold. What I'm saying is. No, no, I'm saying you do a cold version of you and actually you love your children dearly and you would never swap them for no, money. No, I do. Okay. They're the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Right. All four, it's just the most wonderful thing. But you know, it does raid your finances. It's such a boring <laughs> thing to complain about because what do you expect? Yeah. Um, uh, I think I'd rather go through life having worried about money than not had a, a family and yeah. beautiful children exactly. and, and sort of spent my whole life on lovely holidays exactly. and able to buy whatever wine I wanted. If you're to lucky as my, as, as my mum, you'll still have them living with you at almost 30. <laughs> God. Yeah. Can you imagine mm. the trauma? <laughs> anyway... So is that, all you want to, is that all you want to chat about? That's what I want to chat about. Shout about. Oh, shout about. Yeah, shout about. What, uh, oh, I see. Yeah. Sorry. Um, oh, plug. Yeah, plug. Plug what you want to plug. Uh, go to my, go to my website, well. williamsitwell.com, and buy some of my wine. Because right. I have a really cool selection. Okay. And it'll get to you in about two days. Amazing. It's a really good way of buying wine. Yeah, okay. And, and I also have a newsletter now called, uh, what's it called? <laughs> Eat well, sip well, live well. Who writes that? You do? Me. Okay, good. And the idea is it's an insight to all the things that I come across. So it's about uh, great wine. It's about products I've come across that mm. I really rate and I, I get people sort of discounts when I, you know, Can. there's a new chocolate, yeah. blah, blah, blah. So I highlight products I've come across, articles I've int- I'm interested in, mm. restaurants I love, and that's a monthly thing I do every month. <laughs> um, and I think that there's a lot of, there's a big future in newsletters. Do you think so? I have I a newsletter so. too. Have you? Yeah, for you, for you. High five. <laughs> so, uh, it's not, I'm, I'm told, do you know, have you heard of Substack? Substack. Apparently you're supposed to be on that. That's this great online newsletter thing. Oh. Anyway. Top tip. I'm doing it myself. Okay. But, but people are willing, well, welcome to subscribe <laughs> and they will get some interesting info about things that I come across because... A lot of stuff comes out past my desk, right? you know, Yeah. and I eat out a lot and yeah. travel a lot. And so occasionally I've got some nuggets of info I can pass on. So uh, subscribe to, what's it called? Sit well, <laughs> eat well, live well. I think it needs, does it need to be a bit snappier? The sit well newsletter. There you go. Eat well, sit well. Do you think the branding needs... Possibly a bit yeah. more fine-tuning. We'll work on that. We love, people love a triple, you know, they three do. things, but... Because it sure. doesn't say sit well, which I think is quite funny, you see. So it's sit yeah. well, what's it called? Eat well. That, your answer's there, really, isn't it? <laughs> Eat well, sip well, live well. 
It's a bit Waitrosey. Is it? Yeah. Is that good? No, no. No? You remember that brand that used to have like Love Life or whatever it was called? Yeah. It kind of reminds me of that. Well, yeah, it was, but Love Life was a weird one because it was about love life and the health that everyone thought it was about shagging. So, which was, <laughs> seemed a bit inappropriate. Did it? Did they? <laughs> we talked, most, most people think talk about, you talk about love life, your yes, love life. that's true. Right? That's true. Your relationships. Your relationships. What's Waitress got to do with that? Well, exactly. Okay, so subscribe to William's um, Sip Well, whatever it's called, <laughs> newsletter. Yeah, go, to, go to williamsipwell.com for Yeah, williamsipwell.com. Um, and yeah, that's, that's it. I don't have a sign-off, which is always really annoying. So at the end, I do this weird, like, scrambling oh, yeah. around. Oh, you need to have a sort of question, shouldn't you? But quick Q&A. My question, my, well, I used to do, in my other seasons, I did a, a quick fire round. Yeah, what happened to that? I just stopped because I hated writing quick fire questions. Uh, okay. So I just didn't answer them anymore. You could just ask the same ones to everybody. You go, like, Probably easier, Indian or Chinese, red or white. Yeah. Uh, um, do you want me to do your quick fire round? I could do them for you if you said red or white, on. but I know what you're going to say. Well, no, they don't. Red or white? White. Oh, I thought you would say red. No, white. Roast of choice. Uh, beef. Um, eating out or eating in? Oh, I hate eating out. <laughs> I hate um, eating in. <laughs> tea or coffee? Coffee. Oh, I should have offered you coffee. Nespresso. No, but it's not this time of day. Okay, yeah. Um, and do you think all the Nespresso capsules, they taste the same? I don't have an espresso. They just all machine. taste the same, don't they? Anyway. Um, and then what could be the last one? Uh, the, the, the Bill or cider? No. Um, Pork scratching. What? What's it called? Uh, what, 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 your last meal before yes, you die? Death, death row meal. That's death a 20 meal. minute conversation. I can't answer that. I mean, just give me the, make it easy, carbonara. <laughs> uh, no, we're going to have, um, it's too long. There'll be some foie gras in there somewhere. <laughs> And some pistachios. Oh, do you like pistachios? Yep. And um, uh, some sashimi. Oh, okay. Maybe some sashimi of longest. There's no theme to your order. It's just very, very long. And then we get stuck into the Calvados. And once we've drunk a lot of that, literally, I'm willing to go onto the scaffold. Fair enough. You know, I'm ready for death by that point. Okay. You may explode before There's a self-sourcing chocolate fondant in there as well. Oh, yes. Which I'm learning to make. I did a very good one the other night. It's so easy. Come on. Yeah, but you can get it wrong. It's just the cooking of it is the hard bit. Well, that's quite a fundamental part of it. No, as in like, as long as you don't overcook it. No, don't overcook it. Yeah. When it, do you see the crustiness and it's a yeah. bit wobbly? Take it out, rest it. Excellent. It's very nice to see you, Amy. Yes, it was nice to see <laughs> you. Thank you, you. I was very much. Super nervous to do this. Bye, yeah, everyone. Bye. As well. bye. bye. Say bye. Yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, I was very nervous. Is it stopping now? Yes, yeah, stop. Very well done. That was lovely.